Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at SpoilerCountry at gmail.com. Tonight, and welcome back to Spoiler Country. I am Johnny Horsley, and today on the show, we have a returning guest, Philip K. Johnson, coming back on, talking with Casey about his new book, Kill a Man. Gear just talked to Steve Orlando about it a long time ago. Seems like forever ago. Actually, it wasn't that long ago, but it feels like it was forever ago because 2020 is the year that lasts forever. But we talked with Steve Orlando about it. Now we're talking with Philip K. Johnson about it. Casey sat down and chatted with him. You should go check out that episode with Steve Orlando talking about Kill a Man and then also listen to this one. But listen to that one. Listen, listen to this one first and then go check out the Orlando one. You know, do it that way or, or, or reverse it. I don't care. Just make sure you listen to this one because Philip K. Johnson or PKJ or Philip Johnson or, or Philly J or Philly K. I don't know. I'm making giving him names now. I'm apologizing in advance. But I'm going to stop talking, and you're going to listen to this episode because it's good. All right, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we have Eisner-nominated writer and musician. It's Philip Kennedy Johnson. Philip, how you doing, man? I'm great, Casey. And what a silky smooth radio voice you have. I know, that's my NPR voice. <laughs> that's great. I love it. You're a pro. I, well, in, when you when you grow up in in Birmingham, Alabama, and you you realize that people who live in the real world can't understand you unless you you try to enunciate and sound <laughs> a little. <laughs> nice. Way so, to that. thank you, thank you. So, how you been, man? I've been great, man. I mean, it's been it's been real busy, and you know. It's times are times are a little weird. I'm trying to keep on top of everything and trying to keep my my son engaged. And you know, you know, everyone's having a hard time to some degree. It's just things are a little weird right now. But I'm doing my best with it, and you know, got plenty of work to do. And it's been been really good. Awesome, awesome. Are you you're you're still in D.C. right? Yeah, the D.C. Baltimore area. Awesome. Yeah, I uh, have a friend that did just got back from there the other day, and she she said it was it was really interesting over there right now. <laughs> But man, it's is it as hot up there as it is here? Because it's um, 101 today. Today was not ab- as bad. The last couple days have been okay. It's, it was real hot before that, but it's, it's been you know it's been spotty. Oh man, it was it was rough. I got off work and immediately like my my yard was looking like Sanford and Son, so uh-huh. <laughs> had to take care of that. And then my my father in law called me and was like, "I need you to come down to the gun range." And I had to help him change two flat tires on a trailer. And it was just, ugh, it was, it was yucky and gross, but I'm clean now. I lost like 15 pounds at <laughs> least <laughs> nice. just from sweat. <laughs> Sounds like it's rough down there. Oh man, it is, it is super hot, but uh, yeah, man. So you have a new book out. 
I do. And yeah, can, can you tell us about it? Man, I'm so stoked for this book. So, Marvel Zombies Resurrection, the miniseries just hit. Last Halloween, we came out with Marvel Zombies Resurrection number one, which is just a, a prelude issue, like a one shot that was supposed to set up this miniseries. And it was supposed to come out not long after COVID hit. But then, like, then that, that wreaked havoc on everyone's shipping schedules. And plus, the first image on page one is Times Square in terror. <laughs> it was like it, at that moment, New York was at its worst uh, as before they bounced back. And it was just oh, rough, rough. Rough, rough timing for that. So uh, I found out that post apocalyptic fiction is not an evergreen genre. And um, <laughs> so we, we sat on it for a little bit, but now it's coming out finally. And we're really stoked about it. It's the art is incredibly good. Leonard Kirk is one of the most underrated guys in Marvel. He's just, his storytelling chops are so good. And his, it looks beautiful. Yeah. He's doing the best work of his career on this book. And Rochelle Rosenberg is doing the colors. I get some of the, her best work. It's everyone's just really firing all cylinders and I'm extremely proud of the work we've done. Yeah. Yeah. It's that art is so dynamic. Exactly. That's, that's the word I like it's And that's, that's something I look for in all my art. Like I really, I love it when an artist can, can make things look like they're in motion from static images. It's such an important skill. And Leonard Kirk just, you know, typifies that. It's just perfect. Like how, yeah. how dynamic everything is not, and not even just the action sequences, but even like the conversations, like everything, everything just looks fluid. It's beautifully done. Y'all are hitting all the buttons and it's, uh, I, I don't want you to give any spoilers away, but oh my goodness, it, it it's pretty rad. So, d- how many more of these are, are going to be coming out? What? How- well, this was this miniseries specifically is four issues. The first the first issue that came out the other day is uh, double sized one shot, so it's forty pages, I think. And uh, the ones after that will all be twenty. So there's three more twenty page issues coming out. And uh, but it ends in such a way that there could be more chapters. This does not. I'm not. I mean, to suggest this one doesn't end. It does. There's a definitive ending to this to this chapter. But it does also hint that the world is bigger than what we've seen. And so, if if we want, if readers want more, there could be more. The same way that there was more in the, the original series. I do want readers to know that it's a super different thing than the original. Really? Yeah. I know some people really love the original series. And want more of it, and I want them to know that's not what this is. I, it's is the first, the original Marvel Zombies that Kirkman did was just like a fun zombie romp, you know, like it's you're you're seeing your favorite super. It was like this novelty. You're seeing your favorite superheroes as zombies, you know, making zombie jokes and eating brains, and it was just a just a fun zombie superhero romp. It wasn't anything to take seriously. It was just like, oh, crazy! This is crazy. Look at these neat covers. This is a very different thing. Like if if I told somebody the other day in an interview, if if Marvel Zombies, the original Marvel Zombies was like Planet Terror that Robert Rodriguez did, then Marvel Zombies Resurrection is more like The Road, where you're you're seeing Ooh, oof. you're seeing a world after the fall of man. You know, like it's as, the prelude is what you see you see, when you see everything initially go down, and then issue one that you see now. We, there are flashbacks where you see you know the, the original outbreak, but mostly it takes place several years later and you see what earth has become and you see follow this little group of characters through their adventures and you see, so yeah, it becomes more like oh, the road I'm where they're trying to, yeah, they're <laughs> trying to survive in that crazy world. And it's more like, you know, James Cameron's aliens in, in the road. <laughs> oh man. So wow. it's a very different take. It takes itself pretty seriously and it's, but it's still, we still wanted to 
have, you know, you know, ideas of heroism and fun imagery that makes Marvel books what they are. And it's kind of a tricky line to balance, but I really feel like we crushed it. I, I'm extremely proud of it. It's it does it does feel like the road and bleak, but also, you know, there are things in it that are very fun too, which sounds like sounds impossible. But like, <laughs> for, like for example, Forge is is prominent in the in the first issue, and I always thought he was a very underrated X Men. I really like him, and he, we see that he's been very busy, and he's he's gone to work making the the bodies of his former friends and neighbors into very practical zombie fighting weapons. <laughs> um, it's pretty rad. And it, there's some, it makes for some really fun imagery and really fun fights, even though the world is coming apart and everything's sad and all that. It's also, it's also really exciting and fun. I, you know, really want to get this book in as many hands as we can. Cause I'm, I think everyone's going to love it. How did you pitch it to, to Marvel? Because it, it seems like such a, a tone change from, from what had preceded it. So yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> Hey, you guys remember that that buddy travel comedy, The Road? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know that uh, all-ages comedy writer, Cormac McCarthy? <laughs> um, yeah, what if he wrote Spider-Man? So, yeah, it's <laughs> – they actually pitched me on it, that not on the concept. Nice. They, they was like, we want you to do Marvel Zombies. I'm like, sweet. You don't even know what you've done here. <laughs> like, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to crush the shit out of this book. But I, I kind of don't want to do what has already been done. Like as as fun as the original was, it's kind of not my brand, and I I didn't want to do more of that. I that story has already been told, and I really wanted to do a, a different take. And I, honestly, I I loved what DC had done with Deceased. That that had just recently been coming out, and I thought Tom Taylor did a great work on it. And this is more in line with that. It's different. It's not it's not anything like Deceased really, but in in tone. Is much more similar to deceased, where you're actually these are deaths that you can care about and really feel for. Like they, the big thing that that was cool about that book is that it made it made the deaths matter, it made the victories matter, it made you care about everyone. There are stakes. There are stakes. Yeah, that I really needed this book to have stakes, and that's we just went so all in on that. Was, this is like. Just it's all about the emotional stakes as well as the stakes for you know humanity and Earth and all that, but even more so about the stakes for the characters and for each other. So that's what we did. We just found a really interesting eclectic group of characters to follow around, people that you wouldn't necessarily imagine would be together, <clears throat> and you know see how much they mean to each other and start to take them away and just to give them something to care about again. Because in the in the story. They've been out there kind of aimlessly wandering for a long time just trying to survive, but they're really just running away. They're not – they don't have a goal in mind as much as like – it's more like The Walking Dead. Where survive, trying, right? Yeah, they're just trying to keep one step ahead of the monsters. But in issue one, they find something that changes all that, and suddenly they have a goal again. Like, wait, we could actually, we could actually do something. And they start to remember who they used to be and who they could be again. So, and that's, that's, where they, that's where they begin. It's – yeah, it's going to be really cool. I think readers are really going to respond. That's awesome. I I I would imagine if if one of the big two come to you and say, "Hey, we want you to do this book," they're not asking you to do a carbon copy of whatever you know. <clears throat> they 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 want you. They want the Philip Kenny Johnson style yeah. on that yeah, book. They, so right. that's that's got to be pretty gratifying. Yeah, I was I was honored, and I really was. I I mean, yeah. At this point, I've I think people tend to know me now for the Last God at DC Black Label, 
And when people come to me to do a book, they're mostly coming to me because they want they want uh, world building because that's kind of what I've hung my hat on. Like I, world building is why I write comics. I love the, you know, practice, you know, compared to movies, it has like, you know, unlimited resources. You can, you can draw whatever, you don't have to worry about, you know, CG. And I just love how far I want to take that as far as I can. I want to, I want to give, put as much as we can on the page. I just build all these worlds and, you know, languages and religions and creatures and everything we can and just make everything feel real the way that, Tolkien did for his worlds and George R. R. Martin did for his and J.K. Rowling did for hers. Like there's, you know, the one thing that those three writers all have in common is how far down the rabbit hole they went with their creations and how, how, how epic the world building was. You could, you could tell whenever you, whenever you read a page of any of those properties, you could tell that there were a hundred pages behind it that you can't see. And that is mostly what I think people come to me to write now things when they, when they want, something done when they, when they want somebody who's willing to work 10 times as hard as they need to for a book <laughs> they come to. And so I went in all in on that. I was like, okay, let's see what the world would look like after the, after the, you know, zombie outbreak with a, a world with superheroes in it. Like who, who do we follow? What would happen? What would happen to shield? What would happen to aim? What would happen to how would the, how would robots be involved the way they were in the original zombie story? How would like the, the phalanx be involved? Oh, wow. What about the Hulks? What about the, you know, what about the regular humans? Where would they have gone by now? What about Atlantis? What about, you know, we just, we can't show everything in a, in a, you know, four issue mini. It seems like you, you still went pretty in depth. Yeah. I really tried to show as much as we could from the perspective of these people. Like if it doesn't make any sense, like there was, you know, I, you know, I, I had an idea for what the Inhumans would be up to in this scenario, but there was no place for them in this particular story, so we don't see the Inhumans here. There were these arcs that humans took to try to get away from from Earth with the help of heroes that we all know and love, and you know we haven't had a chance to see those arcs yet either, but they're out there. So I, you know, I just made all these decisions about what what the world, what's out there in the world, and then see what could we actually show. So then when we make little references to things, they feel fleshed out and real the way. You know, they should whenever there's a, a bigger world, you know. That's awesome. So was there was there anyone in the story that that you felt kind of bad, like, oh, I hate it. I'm going to have to kill you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> issue one, maybe. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. And there's and there's there are others in uh, subsequent issues as well. I'm not saying that, you know, we're going to mow through the whole party, but but yeah, there are there are other characters that that I really love in this story that I really hated to kill, but it's, you know, that's, that's the biz. <laughs> and I only, not for, not gratuitously. Like I, I, I never killed. It's like, well, we got to have a death now to make something seem serious. I didn't want to, didn't want to, you know, take that road, but yeah, whenever, whenever it made sense for the character and for the other characters around them and for the story, it, it definitely happens. And I, I try to make everyone feel those as much as possible. So it's not just a, a mindless B movie where everyone's just fodder. Oh yeah, yeah. So, do you have any other plans with Marvel after this? Is it? Do you think that uh, you have any other stories for Marvel? Oh God, yeah. Yes, I do. <laughs> well, I mean, Captain America, M- the Empire miniseries for Captain America just wrapped up too. That was a three issue mini that just finished. I wrote that, and that was super fun. It was an honor to get to write Cap. I mean, as an active duty soldier, getting to write Cap is oh, like bet. a dream come true. And we got to write him. We got to give him a, like a a group of of real life American soldiers to 
to fight with kind of like a kind of like a new Howling Commandos team made up of modern day American soldiers. And that was super awesome to get to do that. Let's see. Yeah, I've got a, I've got an upcoming thing with Marvel that I am over the moon stoked about. It's like an, an actual dream come true writing gig, which is weird to say because I mean this one was also a dream come true. But yeah, they, they could not be more perfect for me. And we're probably going to announce it in about a month, or maybe between a month and two months, it'll get announced. I think. Um, oh, nice! I'm happy to come back nice. here and talk to you about it again because I mean I'm going to be I'm going to oh, sing. I'm sure. going to be I'm going to be literally singing on the top of buildings <laughs> about this. About you, this. you sound so stoked about this. Yeah, you're coming on if if you have. Uh, yes. Yeah, I'd love yes. to. And I, I honestly, I'm. I feel the same way about this book, but but this next one is is just as. Yeah. God. Anyway, I'll shut up. I, I can't wait. And there's a yeah. Don't get yourself in trouble. Yeah. No, I've I've got another thing coming out from DC that's also on the same level. I'm just like the just feel unbelievably fortunate right now with everything I've got coming up. Aside from the things I can't talk about yet, I'm also you know Cap is wrapped up. I'm doing for DC. I'm doing the Tales from the Dark Multiverse story. That's going to be out next or in November called this based on Batman Hush. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm really excited. Dexter Soy is drawing it. Guy, he's, he's, he was the artist on Red Hood for a long time. Yeah, it's really exciting take. And uh, like we basically get to see a Gotham without Batman. And then Batman suddenly appears. It's really, really fun. Awesome. Awesome. That that must be fun getting into that universe. Are, are you completely done with The Last God? I am actually working on the last I was writing on issue 12 right before I came on here. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> um, and I'll be I'll be hitting it again as soon as we're done. I yeah, I see issue let me think 9 comes out next month. And or this I guess later this month. And then and there's issue 10 and there's a a spin-off issue that Dan Waters wrote called The Songs see Songs of Lost Children that is a story of Scyanth of Queen Scyanth in the years between for those who haven't read the book, it follows two timelines. It follows uh, this um, party of heroes that save the world, very much like the the heroes of Fellowship of the Ring in back in their day, except the big victory that supposedly was won at the Black Stair at the edge of creation didn't go down the way that they said. And then we see another scenario 30 years later where the last god returns and the, another group of heroes get swept up in this, in this adventure to actually do what the first – Fellowship said that they did, and like there was this big, big lie and conspiracy that's been happening for decades, and now they're trying to unravel it, see what really happened, and kill the last god and save everyone. So between those two timelines, thirty years apart, there's another story that happens in between with the queen, and Dan Waters is has written that story. Steve Beach, my old collaborator, is drawing it, and uh, that comes out after issue ten, and then eleven and twelve, and then it's all wrapped up. Wow, wow. So. How did the the spinoff thing come up come about? Did did you ask him to to do that, or was DC just like, what else you what do you have anything else for the for this world that you're doing? How how did that? What was the impetus of that? It's been the book has been really well received, honestly, and we wanted to do more. We did the the D and D source book, the role playing source book that we put out after issue six. It's two arcs. That's uh, so two, rad. Two, six issues arc. <laughs> yeah, I know. God, it's been a dream come true. So the is two six issue arcs. After the first six, we we put out the source book so that people can make their own role playing campaigns in that world. Because there was like an just an unthinkable amount of of back matter that people hadn't seen. And they were like, we have all this shit, man. We should really do something with it. And my editor is a huge gamer, tabletop gamer. Uh, when he's not doing comics, he's doing that. 
and he really wanted to make this playable. So we put together the source book, which is just this massive undertaking. But I mean, a lot of the a lot of the oh the lore was already there, just behind the scenes. So it was just a matter of you know writing it in such a way that makes it look pretty and adding illustrations. So yeah, so we have we have the twelve main issues, and then the source book, and then we decided to do one more issue that would flesh out the character of science a little more. There was a, there's a single image in the first issue of King Tear as a young man apparently trying to kill a baby, and we we never really find out specifically. There are hints about what was happening there, but it never specifically says what was this about, what what happened, like why why is science childless? What happened with Tear? Why did he go crazy? And uh, the issue that we gave to Dan to write fleshes in a lot of that. That's that's awesome. Do do you have any when this is wrapped up, when this is done? Do you think that you will have anything else for it? Do you want to return to it, or are you just happy with you know putting the toys away and and calling it a day? I need to take a breather because it's a crazy oh, man. Of I bet. <laughs> um, like every issue has about six, like four to six pages of back matter, six, six pages mostly. Oh my God. That's a ton. <laughs> I'm too stupid to write that much. There's um, no way I could. Oh my gosh. I mean, it, when you're writing prose, it just it takes, and it, you know, you need it to, to read really well. It's, you know, it's, it's not nothing. And it, it's, it makes it harder because it's in the, it needs to be in the language of that world. You know, it can't just be, you know, just normal sounding language. It's a very delicate art so and sometimes it's a journal entry from a, a character that lived a long time ago other times it's a religious text sometimes the religious text is in a different language sometimes it's an original song so it just takes a lot of time I, I mean it's very it's hugely rewarding i love doing it but it also takes a lot of time so it, i love this book and i would gladly write it the rest of my life and there are other arcs that we can do that would that would go with it nicely i think i would love to come back to it uh, I'm, I'm sure Ricardo needs a break too because we've been burning him up for like a year now. Oh, I bet. Yeah, uh, and that art is beautiful. It's crushing it. But yeah, there's tons more stories that we could do in that world, and I would love to do that. The ultimate edition of this book, when when you get around to that, if y'all don't delve into the back matter stuff that you wrote, it I th- I think the people I think people would eat it up. Yeah, no, we're just, just there's going to be to show the care and attention that you you put into it. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of it that's already written that that went in the back of the single issues that will already be in there, plus the stuff from the source book, plus more stuff that wasn't even in the source book because we even cut as long as that source book was, we cut out pages of stuff. I mean, it could have been even longer. Plus all these other things that I have in the form of notes that have not yet been transcribed into something like readable and like you know nice to read for the reader. It's almost like you you have the the similarian. You know, just kind of waiting in the wings while you're writing this thing. Right, exactly. Yeah, just waiting for me to die so my son can do an oh, adequate God. job with it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Didn't mean to get into them. No, that was a, that, that was a little a little jab at the at the Tolkien estate. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, waiting for me to like all the stuff that I never intended to actually publish that my son then takes and sells for for more money. Oh man, I, uh, I tr- so I, I loved Lord of the Rings. Could not get into, I couldn't get into The Hobbit, which I think there's something wrong with me for that, and could not get into The Similarian. And I tried to read both of them. It just, it, it just wasn't working. But I love the Lord of the Ring books. Yeah. They're fantastic. I, I think The Hobbit might be my favorite of the bunch. I, I liked that it was just a, like a standalone adventure. It wasn't like the, the fate of the whole world didn't ride on it. 
Yeah, yeah. It's like an adventure with a dragon, and it was just really, it was big, and there was obviously huge consequences, but it wasn't the, yeah, it didn't have the Doomsday stuff attached to it as much, and it was it was really just a great read. And also the cartoon when I was a kid was really awesome. That is oh. on HBO Max, and I can't oh, wait to watch it. That's awesome. I uh, Man, they don't have it set up so you can, like, watch it via Roku, which is how we do our stuff because we have an old TV. Yeah. And so it's just on my phone. So I'm just waiting for him to put it on Roku so I can watch that puppy on my big screen. Super fun. Looking at my phone. That, that version of Gollum is so creepy and beautiful. I really love yeah. that version of Gollum. I had the storybook um, when I was a kid and they had like the same voice actor of oh, cool. Gollum doing the yeah. thing. And it scared the crap out of me. Yeah, he's creepy. He does a great job. He was in the that same animation company, I think, did The Last Unicorn, right? Yes. Is there characters that look very similar? And the same the same actor does the voice of like a like a carny, <laughs> like a, a guy that's like taking care of the harpy or something. And he's <laughs> also very creepy. That bird creeped me out. <laughs> oh yeah, she was awesome. She was beautiful. But yeah, I uh, I really dug the Hobbit, but I I know what you mean about Cimmerillion. I don't. It's not like a fun read per se. It's not. It's not exactly a story the way we're accustomed to reading them. It's more like the Old Testament. Exactly. Exactly. And so and so begat so and so and yeah and so on. Yeah. But I I love it for the the, the musical quality of the wordcraft. I I love it for the world building. I it was actually like it was it was probably the most it's probably the biggest influence on the Last God of any of any single book. I mean I've got the last I've got uh, the Cimmerillion and the Lord of the Rings all within arm's length right now, and the Cimmerillion was I definitely opened it the most. Like I I read through that thing several times over the course of of writing the Last God just to kind of study the hands of the master, you know, as far as the, just the way the, the way the language rings, but also the way he built his world. I just really admire it. It's not as fun. It's not like a page turner, but it's just, just to study it. It's just fascinating. I might have to pull it out, out of my bookshelf later on and, and check it out again. So I, I do have a, a question about that because as, as you are, uh, Tolkien was uh, a soldier. Right. And he was, People have speculated that he was influenced by his experiences during uh, World War One. Do you think that you your writing has been influenced by your your experiences in in the uh, the military? Sure. I mean, I think everyone's everyone's experiences make them who they are and influence anything that they make. I know Tolkien actively disliked the idea of metaphor. He was not trying to make a point with any of his works. There was just a story that he was telling. He if any if there was if he had like a mission statement in his work, it was that he he hated that England didn't have its own mythology really. He didn't feel like it had its own stories the way other other nations did. Even King Arthur is largely a French work. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he basically set out to make the the English mythology, essentially. It's so weird like because th- there's so, many, so much Gallic mythology and Welsh and Scottish stuff. So it, it's weird that he would thought that that wasn't enough. I don't know. Yeah. I, well, yeah, he, I mean, he was this, you know, this, the pinnacle of the scholar of English languages, uh, like Anglo-Saxon. Like he was like professor of Anglo-Saxon at Oxford and he, he knew his shit, you know, and he, 
he just loved language. So he made up all these languages that eventually became Lord of the Rings. For me, I yeah, I'm not I'm not actively trying to tell my own story or whatever or like pay homage to my own influences, but it all my influences just come out in my work the way they do with anyone's. So yeah, my my so my my service as a soldier, but also just my identif- my self identification as a as a patriot in a really crazy time politically. I think probably colors my my work even more. Like things that I think they're happening that are dangerous and scary and makes me worry about the fate of the future, the fate of our nation, and those things come out probably more prominently than anything I actually experienced as a soldier. It's more about it's more about my uh, identification as an American, if that makes sense. Oh, oh yes. And it's not again. I'm not trying to exactly, you know, prove a point with my work either. But it's the things I care about and get mad about and scare me. I'm sure those things come out in my work to some degree. Certainly in uh, the Captain America thing I just wrote, but my other work too. I. It, it's weird. America right now is is in a moment, and a whole lot of the future going forward is going to be decided on how we act like now and that is that it scares the shit out of me phil it's 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 really worrisome because i yeah it just looking at social media i i don't think people are prepared yeah i mean we'll see what happens i uh we're a couple months out we'll see what happens but without getting into it too deep yeah it's an important time and one good thing is that people seem to really care right now and that's good that's we're obviously very divided but yeah, we don't need to get into all that. But it's oh uh, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, don't want to. It definitely is on my mind. So obviously, it's going to come out in my work to some degree. But not, I'm not trying to. I'm never trying to like lecture the readers. I think that's important. You can, you can write work that matters without trying to actively beat them over the head with it, or you know, make a statement that you need them to acknowledge. It just, it'll just come out on its own. So it, I don't feel the need to to go too hard into it. Oh yeah, yeah, and I mean it's. It's one of those things when when people see your actions, they they will speak way louder than a lecture will. Yeah. Um, so, and funny funny enough, like comics, stuff like Captain America, and seeing those ideals on you know on the the page, it's one of those things that that really does make me go like. This this is awesome. We can do this. I I believe in this, and even when you know the news tells me otherwise, <laughs> so it, it's doing what you're doing. It's important stuff, and and I definitely appreciate it. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, it's a it's a great gig, and the, even in my day job with the with the army, my job is to kind of be an ambassador and connect America with its army. Play, you know primarily play concerts for, for American citizens and, you know, just actively telling the story of American soldiers all the time. And so to get to do it more directly, even with, you know, by telling a Captain America story was really a huge honor. I mean, that's cap cap represents the army values that are beat into us in, in training. Like we're the values that we're supposed to live up to. He is like the personification of that stuff. So it's, you know, to get to write, put that on the page is really, you know, super rewarding. Did has does anyone else that you that you work with in in your day job and the, do they know what you do? Yeah, yeah, that most of them do. Yeah, it's it's been really cool. I, I mean, most of them are very supportive. They they've actually been really great about it. My, I have friends who read my work now, and 
I have people in my chain of command who are also very supportive. They've actually gotten to do little spotlights about it. I am um, right now due to COVID, we don't our 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 tours have been canceled for the immediate future because normally we tour like a third of the year. Right now we're not doing that because it's kind of it's you know it was getting unsafe to. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Know. So yeah, we're not doing that, but we are streaming a lot. You know, doing a lot of a lot of live streaming concerts. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's it's been really good. One of them was uh, what they call a soldier session, which was a focus just on me. And just for like 15 minutes, I just played music that I, you know, I write music for my book sometimes. And one of them, like, well, The Last God, I have a lot of I have a lot of music in The Last God that I've written for that. I also wrote music for Warlords of Appalachia, a book I wrote right around the time of the last election. So I did a whole program just of music I wrote for my comics. And they were, yeah, that's what they they asked me to do that. They're really cool about it. So yeah, I couldn't ask for a more supportive chain. So that I, I love that they, they're supportive. And and right now, like due to like the Marvel films and all that, Captain America is hugely, you know, in in the the moment in the zeitgeist. So and a lot I'm sure a lot of the especially the younger soldiers that you that you come into contact with, that's they grew up watching it. So <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure they they probably have paid to go see a Marvel film, at least sometime in the last ten years. So that is that's that's pretty fantastic. Yeah, it's so um, crazy that you can buy like Captain America or Batman shirts at like Walmart. You know, like that's, that it, oh, didn't yeah. used to, it didn't used to be that way, and now like literally everyone people are just calling Captain America Cap, like like the fans used to. You know, like everyone just <laughs> everyone just knows what you're talking about. That's such a change. Like now it's all kind of taken for granted, but that's just so awesome. So I'm going to veer the conversation a little bit away from superheroes. Okay. Away from from fantasy. I want to talk about Kill a Man. All right, let's do it. <laughs> so you you did this this project with Steve Orlando. You you co-wrote a book. How how was the co-writing process? It's great. I've not done too much of it. I there was like a comic strip that I wrote a long time ago for, you know, just on the internet for just a, a web comic called band. <laughs> There's a, there a site called, what was it? Musicomic.com. It was just this, this friend of mine, this professional saxophone player who's also a very talented artist who would just do these single panel cartoons or make little comic strips that in some way deal with music. And he said he wanted to do a, a band themed, like kind of like South Park, like a little, little, class of kids that would go through band together. So I, I helped him write that. And that was my only other like co-writing experience really until this. And Steve, I met Steve Orlando at Albany con years ago. And uh, we ended up at this, like a sports bar eating wings and watching a UFC fight. And he told me that he had just recently gotten into it and I actively practice MMA. And so we just kind of started talking about it and became friends. And we'd occasionally meet up at other conventions and grab a drink or just, you know, catch up a little. And at some point he told me about this book he wanted to do about a queer MMA fighter who gets outed. And it's, it's about much more than that. It's a really it's a powerful story. The roots of the story really go back to a real-life fighter named Emil Griffith, who was one of the top 10 boxers in the world in the 60s. <clears throat> like, truly one of the greats of all time. He was bisexual, and he got called a slur like just before a fight, and he ended up killing the guy in the ring. Well, I guess technically the guy died of his wounds later, but that really haunted him. 
And Steve wanted, he had an idea for a story that was kind of inspired by that. So, so we did it. And yeah, the co-writing process was, he, he wanted to bring me on in part because I have such a, an, a so much experience with MMA and you really wanted this whole thing to read very legit. He's got, you know, he's, Steve is LGBTQ. He's by himself. And he had very clear ideas he, that he wanted to explore with the relationships in the book. He wanted the fight stuff to be just as authentic. And I'm like, I, I can do that. So we got together. So whenever we write a script together, there are scenes that we will both take lead on. Like, here's here's a fight scene. I'll take lead on that one. Here's a thing, a relationship thing with the main character and, you know, his partner. Let's, you know, Steve will take that. And then we'll both read each other's work and kind of homogenize the whole thing, make it all sound more of, of one voice. Pass it back a couple of times and then it's done. It's actually been a very, it's been a really easy, intuitive relationship that way. That, that's awesome. Did, do you, did you learn about writing from working with another writer? Like, obviously, you know, you, you don't need any help. You are, you're killing it right now anyway. But did you learn a little bit about yourself, about how you write by working so closely with another writer? Yeah, it was, it was interesting to see how another writer does it, you know, cause I, I mean, there are, there are other, I have graphic novels by other people that sometimes the back matter in the back of the issue, will, back of the, the volume will have, you know, a script or something or a few pages of script. You can see it just a little bit of behind the scenes stuff, see how, see what the script looks like or see how, it, and sometimes it'll be a script and then pages of thumbnails and then pencils and inks and colors. You get to see the whole thing come together. And that's always really informative and cool. But yeah, seeing someone actively writing a script, like another pro, was really interesting. It was like I, you know, I, it gave me opportunities to see things that I um, hadn't thought about the same way. Like, huh, this is something I might change in my own scripts from now on, or this is something that Steve does really well. I'm going to steal it. You know, and there are other things where I, you know, I prefer my way because I've also been doing it for a little bit and we both have our preferences, you know, but. But yeah, I definitely learned from it's like seeing someone else's script come together in real time was very interesting and informative. Same thing with Dan Waters. Like it's Dan was taking an idea that I had fleshed out already pretty much. And I just kind of gave him the idea and let him run with the actual script. And seeing that come together in the hands of another writer, like a, an idea that came out of my brain and then was interpreted through Dan's and it became a script through Dan. That was really interesting as well. Well, is that hard letting go of one of your babies? Like going like, hey, this is in my world and, and you know, totally my toy box, but I'm going to trust you with it. Was it hard giving that trust to, to another writer? I mean, he's very capable. He knows what he's doing. But, I mean, cheese and crackers, man, that's, that is, you know, something that you, you birthed all on your own. Yeah. it. I mean, I trusted Dan. He's a, he's a really good writer, and he and I – have similar enough voice that he just felt like that was the right choice for this. But for that one, I like if there was like an actual mistake or something where if he's contradicting, if he's, if Dan accidentally contradicted Laura that I, that I knew to be true that he doesn't know about because he hasn't read, like I can't expect, I can't expect him to read volumes that pages you... of notes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like there's like, well here actually this, you know, this, this elven slaves character is in the language of, you know, the Yupua tribe, and they don't use vowels this way. So here's actually how, you know, this won't work for her name. Here's a variation that might work instead if you're willing to do this. Well, this this name actually sounds too similar to the word for whatever. So that they can't, that wouldn't make sense for a, a name either. <laughs> you know, like I, 
Wow. But whenever, whenever there was something that didn't make sense, he and I would flesh it out so that I didn't contradict something else that would show up in some other, you know, I don't, I don't know if anyone's ever going to like pick apart the last God to the extent that people pick apart, you know, Klingon now or, you know, Tolkien's languages. But if they do, I need it to be right. I want the, the world to be real enough that people can, <clears throat> you know, take the, the nine different references to the money system there throughout the entire series and they all make sense together. You know, like it's so a lot of care was taken to, to make sure it all works. As far as his uh, storytelling, I tried not to get into like micromanage him because I because I hate that personally. <laughs> like I, I don't like being like you asked me to write this thing, so now I'm going to write it and then <laughs> back off. Um, I don't want to be that guy that's like do the script. Like I'm I'm giving you the work to do, but actually I'm not. I'm really just going to control you the whole time. I I didn't want to do that. So I let Dan know the things that matter, the details that were like fact in this world. Like here's what this monster is. Here's how these languages work. Here's the region in which this place exists. Here's how the language works, you know, and do your thing. And then from there, I would I would just let Dan Dan work because he's great, you know. And the same kind of thing with Steve on Killaman, though. With Steve, he I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell him, you know, he came to me with this story. He there's a the story he wanted to tell, and a lot of it is him dealing with past experiences and things he wanted to say that mattered to him a great deal. So I'm not going to tell him how to write a queer relationship or, you know, and I, if there was something where I feel like it was getting a little too, like if, if a, if a sentence was like too lewd or something, it's like, eh, I think this is, I think we're going to turn readers off with this. Or when I started getting into the, the fighting stuff, when I'm, you know, to, I'm showing a training scene between the main character and his trainer. If I get into the weeds too much about fighting technique, he would walk me back too and be like, this is getting pretty fucking dull. You know, we're, <laughs> we're talking about, we don't need to get in this detail, this amount of detail as far as how to train for power, you know, like nobody actually gives a shit. So let's just take it back. He's not saying it quite that way to me, but I, you know, we would just kind of check each other, you know? So in, in that way, it was really great to have another set of eyes, like to have another pro kind of looking over your shoulder. was really helpful. And, and the ending is something that neither one of us, could have done alone. I had a very specific ending in mind and he had a like basically the opposite version. And we both knew that we were, we both knew that we had the better solution and we kicked it around until we came up with a solution that was better than either one of those that really does walk the middle, but also has this interesting twist. And I, we couldn't have done that alone. So that was really great. That's, that's awesome. Did, did you learn anything about writing about the LGBTQIA community. Yeah, I, I mean the, the comics community is already is famously diverse, and I've I've learned a lot just from being in comics in general. And you know, Steve's definitely a part of that. And he, there were some things in the story that that I learned along the way. Yeah, it was it was really interesting, and I'm very proud to have been a part of this project. I think it's an important one. I think that it kind of shines a light on a shortcoming in the MMA community, of which I'm a part. I mean, I really don't know what would happen in, in the in the situation where if if prominent fight if a prominent MMA contender came out as gay or was outed as gay, I don't know how fans would take it. I feel like there are fans that would be shitty about it. I know there yeah. I mean there there are no there are no in the UFC, I don't believe there are any openly gay male fighters there are some openly gay women fighters for some reason that's cool but for for dudes it's not as cool 
I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe I'm speaking out of turn. Maybe it is cool, but I don't think I know of any. And I have a hard time believing that there's literally not a single one. But I mean, that honestly, that was kind of the community that I grew up in. I, I grew up in Kentucky, and I I didn't know a single gay person growing up. I mean, yeah, in yeah. real life, I'm sure I did, but I had even now I have no idea who they would have been. It just wasn't the kind of place where you wanted to come out, and not not at that time. I don't know what it's like there now, but the time just being openly gay in a place like that in high school like that would have been friggin' really hard. You you would have been putting a lot of da- you'd be putting yourself in danger. Yeah, it, just well, it, 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 even it sucks. Even, aside, even aside from physical danger, you'd be like just you know just constantly ridiculed, and it would have been yeah, it would have been shitty. So, yeah, I'm I'm curious how how even the book will be taken by the MMA community. I think very well. I think I, but I think it's an important story to tell. Is I wanted to I wanted to show the LGBTQ um, community kind of superimposed with the MMA community and have both sides like give both sides an authentic look at themselves, but also an authentic look at the other side, and uh, let them kind of learn from each other. You know. Yeah, so. yeah, and. I think it's cool that you guys are able to do a story that 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 marries those two communities together in a way because I mean I'm sure that there are a ton of gay folks that are in MMA and they don't see themselves reflected in the sport and people want to see themselves in their thing. Oh my god, totally. Yeah, uh, it, it is. I think it's part of human nature. They they want to to see a reflection of who they are in the thing that they're interested in, whether it be comics, whether it be film, whether it be TV and sports. I'm sure are a big part of it. One of the biggest football fans I know in in the South, you know, as much as I do, college football is life. One of yeah. the biggest football fans I know is is out and proud gay man and he the roll tide is is his life <laughs> wow okay yeah hey, I mean man. that that matters dude <laughs> yeah yeah and so it, it's it's good to have that those stories also roll tide I don't care <laughs> what team you're for but <laughs> I actually don't follow college football right now <laughs> but- oh man yeah, but, I, it's, but but having grown up in that scene, I know I def, I know exactly what you're talking about. Where I grew up, it was all about UK basketball. Oh yeah, yeah, we it's suck like, at basketball. That's why like that's why we're all football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully they 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 didn't do too good last season, did they? Yeah, UK basketball. Yeah, I, I don't know, dude. I I don't watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> you know why? Because you you got like 80 different jobs. That's why <laughs> it's been busy. I do try to watch. I do try to follow MMA, and lately I've been sucking at that too. I mean, part of that is the you know we're all locked down. I don't have I don't have cable, dude. My my wife and kids are all about some. I have two daughters and uh-huh. my wife. They love watching boxing and uh, MMA with me. That's Actually, awesome. I think my my wife wants to watch MMA. She, That's so cool. You're blessed. And it, it's so fun. I was it was like Saturday morning. I was sitting down with my coffee and I saw an old boxing match on and I was watching it. And my five-year-old was like sitting next to me in her little princess skirt that she had put on because she likes dressing up and dancing around. And she said, he needs to put his guard up. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he does. Huh. So yeah, they, they watch this stuff and, and they totally dig it. That's so cool. Yeah. I watch a little bit of stuff with my son too. And he and I, like I'm actually teaching him some Muay Thai right now. Oh, nice. 
jujitsu too. He was in classes for jujitsu and Muay Thai before everything shut down. But it's, so I'm I'm teaching him stuff myself now. He and I were both like training at the same place. So now he and I just just do it at home. I've got a really pretty cool little home gym situation downstairs, and like I have some mats and a couple of bags, and got him a little grappling dummy. And yeah, it's really fun. My wife's wanting to go to an MMA gym and and learn how to do that. She, I, I think she could do it. I think she would enjoy it. The close, the nearest MMA gym though is like forty five minutes away. So okay. that, you know, it might kind of put a pin in that for for now at <clears> least. But she's a kindergarten teacher, and I'm sure she has a lot of a lot of energy. She she could get out. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Well, if you can, if she's into it, and like, does that one place you're talking about does it advertise itself as an MMA gym specifically? Yes. Yes. Okay. You can find other places. I have no idea how like kind of area you're in, but there could be a place closer that teaches things like Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu and those kind of things separately that would essentially be giving you the same experience as, as MMA. And it doesn't have to be necessarily in a cage. You know, it can be your people who do MMA are often learning Jiu Jitsu and Muay Thai and traditional Western boxing or wrestling, judo or whatever separately. And then kind of working on their style, you know, as well. But yeah, so if you find a place where they teach jujitsu, see if they have any striking at that same school. Often they will. I'll have and, to look into that. And uh, might have a, you might find a more convenient place. We we watch Strike Force pr- fairly often too. Oh, cool. <laughs> but so kind of move, moving ag- again, you, you mentioned COVID, you mentioned being at home. How has how has that affected you guys in particular? Have have you been? It sounds like you're still working fairly steady. Yeah. Yes, that's definitely true. Well, my at my unit, those who don't know, I play in the U.S. Army Field Band, one of the military bands in Washington D.C. And normally we tour around the country, play concerts to American people, and it's kind of tell the story of the American Army. But now everything's shut down, but the mission continues. So we are mostly performing live streaming concerts from our our home base we stream every single day oh that's cool but not everyone is playing every single day like a lot because of the constraints of how many people we can have in a room at the same time it is mostly smaller groups so there'll be like a a horn band playing blues stuff next day there'll be a brass quintet next day there'll be you know a clarinet group next day there'll be a like a, a bluegrass thing you know it's like it's just hugely you know it's varied a lot day to day so we're doing those. There's also, you know, there's always just logistical things that have to get taken care of as a soldier. There's, you know, army things you have to do, like computer training and, you know, physical stuff. I just took a my combat fitness test yesterday, and I got to when I'm not taking mine, I'll be grading others on theirs. Oh, nice. I'm also responsible for a lot of the writing that comes out of the unit, like the, you know, liner notes or newsletters or whatever. So I'll write some of those and farm out other ones. So there's lots, to, you know, still things that need to be done for for the the day job. And also there's comics and those deadlines never stop. You know, it's a, comics are a train that never stops, stops moving. And the track is being taken apart behind the train and put together in front of it all the time. It's just constantly moving. And so, yeah, trying to get those books out on time as well. And, you know, place, and, plus, and plus, you know, kids aren't in school. Now, I mean, school, they are in school in some places. Like here, my son is still going to be schooling from home, like do, like schooling virtually. Yeah, that's um, the way so, my kids are doing it. Yeah. So it's even when he's not doing that, you're trying to make it so he's not just sitting watching TV all the time. So it's been it's been busy. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to. Ours are. I think mine are 
perhaps yet younger than yours. I have a 10 and a five. Oh, um, nice. No, mine is minus six. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a lot of Minecraft, but they, they've gotten really into making slime. So we've made a lot of slime <laughs> Okay. and slime is restricted to one room of the house. Cause we should be as good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we recently had a new carpet put in the living room because we, uh, man, we we painted the living room. My father in law came by to help out with some electrical stuff, and he called his buddy. And he said, "Ah, oh, Jeff's gonna come over. He's gonna help out with the electrical." And I said, "Well, we're trying to social distance, man, and I don't know Jeff." He's like, "Ah, you know Jeff." And I said, "I." Don't, but just because I know him doesn't mean he's not sick. I'm, exactly. I don't to, know him. He's, he doesn't yeah, seem sick trying, to me. Yeah, yeah. We're trying to do – and so it came down to that Jeff was an actual electrician. He knows what he's doing. My father-in-law did not feel comfortable doing this thing. So I was like, okay, I'll have the family on the other side of the house. And it's not like he can touch any of the furniture because the furniture's already put up because we're painting. So my father-in-law is finishing up some tiny little touch-up painting. Jeff is wiring the uh, electrical, and I, I'm cleaning brushes. Like, we're literally wrapping shit up. And I hear, oh, no. I, I walk into the living room. Jeff is, is a portly man, and he bumped into my, – my father-in-law was doing his touch-up with a whole can of paint. Oh, I handed God. him one of those little tiny cups and said, Hey man, you want to use this? He's like, nah, I'm just going to pop this open and put the top back on. It's good. Jeff bumped into my father-in-law who was holding the whole can of paint, the whole gallon can of paint and got paint all over from like head to toe. <laughs> oh, damn. But also he got paint on the wall. He got paint in the hallway. He got paint on my dog outside of the baby gate in the hallway. He got paint on a guitar that a friend had custom built for me that I was just kind of leaning. It goes in the living room and I usually have it hanging up, but instead I had it leaning in the hallway, just out of the way, got paint on that and paint all over our carpet, which we were very happy with. He got paint all over it and it was like a, a very dark blue paint. Oh my God, dude. Sounds so, like there was not a drop wasted. Not at all. <laughs> and man, I'm so sorry. That blows. Oh man. So my wife comes in because she hears a commotion, immediately runs to the bedroom and starts writing her Bible, reading her Bible and crying. And <laughs> oh, nice. Nice approach. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. She, it was, it could have been much worse. <laughs> and I felt bad for Jeff because Jeff is a good guy and he didn't mean to. And he's like, I'll pay for the carpet. It's okay. And we're like, no. But I am going to have to get this carpet replaced. So we got the carpet replaced. And now the girls are restricted on so many things in the living room because we're not buying another <laughs> freaking carpet. Yeah, totally. <laughs> How, I, I saw like you, you had to like rip up your bathroom or something. God, when was that? I saw, you posted something on Twitter. And I was just like, oh, uh, whoa, whoa, in whoa. there. <laughs> God, what was that? What happened? I'm trying to remember. Well, we, we, yeah, I've been doing some work on the house. <laughs> like to, I don't want to get into all that. But yeah, there's, uh, we had uh, the downstairs mostly. I took out all the old paneling and, you know, put up drywall everywhere and redid the ceilings. And yeah, I, it's been, it's been a lot. It's work, man. It's, it's yeah. hard work. That drywall does not, I, I had to move 80 sheets of drywall 
the other day for my father-in-law who has a project that he's doing in his barn. And I was like, I'm pretty sure you bought too much drywall. And he's like, no, no, I'm not just doing the upstairs. I'm doing the downstairs too. He's wanting to completely and totally make it climate controlled in the barn. Huh. Uh, okay. Because he's he as a side thing, he does gunsmithing. Okay, nice. Which is why I was at the gun range earlier today. I was moving crap for that. But oh my gosh. So much. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, kill a man. Yeah. So for those who don't know the story. <clears throat> So Kill a Man is a story of a top mixed martial arts contender named James Belly, a real superstar whose father, DJ Belly, was himself a pioneer in MMA and was killed in the ring for slurring a gay opponent, a guy named Xavier Maine. In present day, just as James Belly, that dude's son, is about to finally get his title shot, his opponent outs him as gay in a live press conference, and overnight he loses everything. He loses his endorsements, his fight camp, his fans, the support of the league. It's all gone, and now he has to win it all back. And the only person in the whole MMA scene who's willing and able to train him is Xavier Mate, the man who killed his dad in the ring all those years ago. It's inspired by stories like Creed, but it's also, again, inspired by the real life of Emil Griffith, that boxer who killed his opponent. Still one of the top 20 boxers, pound for pound, and he's been dead for since like 2013, I think. Yeah. I believe it. So, yeah. That dude's, dude was a man. Uh, badass. Yeah, completely. Yeah. It's largely about his story and also just kind of the, you know, the contrast of boxing with MMA and just how the, you know, ways in which the MMA scene should be better. And uh, it's, yeah, really powerful. I'm really excited about it. Steve is over the moon happy with this book and we're all very stoked for it to get, uh, for it to come out. That's awesome. And, this fall. So it's coming out via Aftershock. Yes, and Aftershock comic. And actually, this is the best place for this story. Like, they're a super brave publisher. Like, they just they'll put out whatever. I was about to say. Um, I was about to say the same thing. They're they're taking a lot of chances and and going in directions that a lot of comic companies I I do not think would would give the time to, which is yeah. amazing. I mean, their, like, slogan uh, is, their slogan is read dangerously and they, they live that man. They, like you see that in the books they publish. It's great. It's a really, they're telling stories that matter stories that take chances. And this is definitely one of those. And yeah, we're very proud to be with them. Yeah. I, I never would have thought a, a book about a gay MMA fighter would be something that would be like a, a major, like at one of the, the bigger companies and be something you could find at comic shops. Yeah. And uh, places, are, places are proud to even to put it up. Like it was on the cover of Publishers Weekly a couple of weeks back. Oh, that's rad. It's, it's that, that's so rad. I mean, stories, and you'll, you also see it with stories like George Takei, when he um, said they call this enemy that, that they did recently that won some awards. Like, yeah. Story, stories about these populations are, you know, getting some press because they matter right now. So, yeah, we're very, very stoked about it. I can't wait to read the book. And is there anything else you want to talk about before we before we head out? I don't want to take too much of your time. Well, just the last God is still coming out, and we're you know we're always proud of that book. There's so much of myself in it, just the music and all the background stories, as well as the actual mind blowing art on the page. That's I'm very proud to be a DC Black Label. Captain America Empire is all on shelves right now. One, two, three issues one, two, and three. That's the whole series. 
Marvel Zombies Resurrection just started. That's going to be coming out roughly every two weeks. Like the first issue just hit, and the second, third, and fourth are all going to be coming out before the end of October. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that's that's one of the that's my best Marvel work in my opinion. I'm really happy with that book, and so proud of the whole team on that. It, one. it sounds like you have more to come though. So <laughs> uh, yes, and in another in another month or two, there's going to be some really huge announcements at both DC and Marvel. It's like next level stuff, and I cannot wait to talk about those things. So we'll be talking again. When when I found out about that you were on the cat book, I was I was like, of freaking course he's on the cat book. That's amazing. That that's the smartest decision they could have done. Oh, so I, I was super stoked when I saw you your name attached to that project. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm really proud of how that turned out too. Ariel Olivetti did the art for that. He was a legend. Got to do a little little body horror thing in there that they let me get away with. It was <laughs> super fun. Well, well. Philip Kennedy Johnson, thank you so much for coming on the show. Man, come back anytime. I Thanks, cannot man. My wait pleasure. to see what you have coming up because you you sound as much as a badass who does MMA and is in the army could sound giddy. <laughs> you sound kind of giddy about it. So <laughs> Yeah, God. Both of these upcoming <laughs> announcements, I they're like I could die happy after these things. Just can't wait to talk about them. I got such so much I want to say with both of them. So yeah. Let's do it. Philip, thanks again, buddy. You too, brother. All right. And we're back. What do you guys think? Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Philip is, uh, is an awesome guy, and Casey had a great time talking with him. And Killer Man is a really you gotta check that book out it's all i can say it's it's pretty cool yeah and come on this is a great book so definitely go to amazon go wherever you the comic book store pre-order that book comes out in december you're not gonna you're not you're not gonna want to miss it so with that and uh so if you like that go to spoilerverse.com check out all of our back issues you know we have over 500 episodes now and you're gonna love them all i swear listen to all of them go to your podcatchers go download all listen to them and then tell your mom to go download all and your brothers and sisters and your dad and your grandma's have everybody you know just download all of our episodes and while you're at it check out all the other podcasts on our network like bridging the geekdoms and shooting the sith and funny book forensics and haphazard adventures and watch the radio uh, go to all those ones and also download all their episodes as well and tell them you love them and after that go to spoilers.com and read all the articles and leave comments on everything because it's going to be awesome and go to the store, buy a t-shirt, buy a face mask, buy a hoodie, look fly as hell, and help support the site, help support what we do. Also, go to scpod.us slash discord, join our public discord server. Do that, come chat with us, and we'd love to hear from you. We're going to do contests, so it's always fun. And I know it's a lot of things to tell you to do, but I tell you every time, so if each, each episode is needed to do one of those things, you'll do, all, you'll do all of them pretty quickly. So, lastly, but not leastly, in Oceans of Podcast, we are Cthulhu, and as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and read more.